0: Who has shooting mats and range bag systems to hunting clothing and just about everything for the outdoors? Log on and shop 24-7 with super fast shipping, midwayusa.com.
1: Hey everybody, welcome to the Full Scale Outdoors podcast. Thank you very much for joining me. Boy, on today's episode, hoo-wee, hoo-wee. Man, I was looking forward to this one. Uh, This one's going to be primarily for the Minnesota waterfowlers out there. Uh, but I think other surrounding states will find it interesting as well. Uh, I was able to get on the phone. Steve Court from the Minnesota DNR is our waterfall specialist. And uh, this, this guy has got uh, some tough skin. He seems to be the target for every person that is not happy with the way our seasons go. Um, but he was a very nice guy. Um, he had all the answers. That, that to accept I was I was very uh, satisfied with the answers that I received with the questions that I got. Uh, it's important for people to remember he is an avid waterfaller himself. He is not against you guys. <laughs> he's on he's on our side and he's one of a few different voices that that helped structure our season. So um, this was a great Conversation. I asked him a lot of questions. It uh, took more of his time than I thought I was going to do, uh, but it's a great one. So there's a lot of stuff in here uh, for everybody to digest. This is going to be a good one. I hope you enjoy it. Let's get on with it. This is the Full Scale Outdoors podcast with Steve Kortz. Oh, here we go, boys. oh i love that sound this is a good one well steve welcome to the show full scale outdoors podcast uh first of all thanks very much for doing this
2: yeah no problem
1: this is great. I, I kind of put it out on uh, social media that I was talking to you, and uh, had everybody give me a list of questions, and uh, there was quite a bit of interest.
2: Imagine <laughs> <laughs> that. Yeah, yeah,
1: there was there was one particular uh, question, and I'm gonna I'm gonna do the the uh, radio tease, and I'm saving that one for last. So people that are listening to this. Sorry, not sorry. You're going to have to listen to the whole thing. <laughs> but it was overwhelming. The uh, I'm not shocked. Uh, it's one that I had too. But before I get to those questions, um, like, first, thanks for your work. Um, you've been doing it a long time, and I do not want your job. <laughs> uh, you must have some really, really thick skin.
2: Yeah. Um, yeah, I think, uh, probably myself and our deer biologist and maybe, um, some of our fish guys on the, on the lacs, uh, probably, um, have the thickest skin of, um, anyone in our agency. Um, I don't mind it. I mean, I, I guess I like, um, um, sort of passionate duck hunters and, um, and I like hearing uh, their opinions, so it doesn't really phase me right or maybe I've got used to it, but
1: well, the waterfallers in general, I mean, I think as we all know they are they are kind of uh, a unique breed, a uh, very passionate uh I am definitely one of those uh a little crazy, if not a lot crazy, so yeah, I mean, and you have the impossible task of trying to please everybody,
2: yeah, and I think um. Um, I said, um, I don't know, probably 15 years ago and I, um, I, I made a comment at a meeting that, um, if you put, uh, two Minnesota duck hunters in a room together, you come out with three opinions and, <laughs> and I, I use that, um, uh, still on occasion because it's pretty true. Um, you know, there's a lot of opinions, um, and you know, that's that's not bad. Um, it's just, um, hard to kind of wade through, uh, you know, different opinions on the same issue.
1: For sure. I mean, just think about the buddies that we go hunting with, right? We're close friends, family members, whatever you go out into the goose field, and there's already an argument five minutes into it on how to set the decoys and where to put the blinds. So when it comes to bigger issues, um, you know, there's no way. Waterfallers as a whole are all going to agree on anything, but it is a it is a tough tough job. Um, when I was first, you know, I was like, "Hey, I'm going to reach out to Steve and see. Hopefully, uh, he'll be willing to be on the podcast and looking for your email address, whatever." I just punched in your name into Google. It brought me back to the old forum days. I think it was Minnesota Waterfaller. Uh, no, it wasn't waterfall. I don't remember which one it was. But anyways, there were some not nice things said. <laughs> Yeah. And it's I was like, wow, this is
0: crazy. Yeah, for a while,
2: it, it actually if you Google uh, Googled my name, um, the first thing that would pop up is a petition to have me fired. And, <laughs> yeah, I think that
1: was in there. Yeah. Like it was like, and oh my god! I think
2: it's still in like the top three. And <laughs> you know, I've had old um, friends or cousins. Um, you know, they I guess they know what I do, but um, you know, maybe uh, Googled me to. Like, like, I don't know, find my email or something, and uh, like they're shocked by it. But uh, yeah, there's been a, a number of petitions um, uh, that never went anywhere. But uh, I, I guess I kind of laugh at them.
1: Yeah, well, I think um, I think it's easy, you know, when you have somebody in your position uh, for the other people you know you're like you're a faceless person to them you're a name the dnr in general right. gets gets such a bad rap like it's this unattainable untouchable you know uh, entity and so i think people have especially behind the key the the shield of the keyboard they have this um you know anonymity they can kind of say and and be as rude and mean you know and obviously they wouldn't say these things At least I hope they wouldn't say these things if they were face to face, but it's easy to just make the DNR even as a whole a villain, you know, and and these issues are so easy to them, like, why doesn't he just do this? Or why doesn't he just do that? Or what are we doing? That's so stupid. And, you know, there's a lot of different factors that go into the decisions that you make, I assume, you know, down to science, um, local culture, the, you know, popular opinion, you know, trying to make people happy, give them opportunities. And the one thing so I, I in that thread that I found, I don't remember the year, might have been 2015, but um, I think it was one of the first times that the we were starting to toy around with the early teal season or a teal season, mm-hmm. you know. And from what I gathered, you know, we didn't end up getting one, obviously we all we all know that. And from what I gathered you were trying to kind of get some amendments to what they were offering and the feds didn't seem to like that and they kind of shot the whole thing down. So correct me if I'm wrong. That's kind of what I gathered from this little tiny snippet in this form that I read.
2: No, uh, that's correct. Um, um, Yeah, uh, so the early teal season started, um, experimental season in 2014, and it was offered to... Iowa, Minnesota, Wisconsin, and Michigan. And, uh, and I guess our flyway supported um, the teal season, as is. And, um, and we included, uh, I guess, an, <clears throat> an option um, uh, to allow one non-teal in the bag. Um, and that was um, essentially me doing that. Um, our flyway supported it. Uh, Fish, and Wildlife, uh, Fish and Wildlife Service did not, but um, it is much more palatable, I think, um, to do that to um, like have the one non-teal, <coughs> excuse me, uh, <coughs> uh, than just uh, teal, teal only season. And most
1: <laughs> um, current seasons kind of have that structure, don't they? I mean, now, I mean, maybe they didn't then, but. Don't they usually give you an accidental, in air quotes, bird? Uh,
2: uh, Not in the teal season. It's uh, teal only.
1: Right on. I thought some other states had that, but I could be wrong. Um, But before we get into that, that's one of the questions that came up was definitely a teal season if something like that's going to happen. But before I get to those questions, so my point when I kind of went into this, you know, the DNR is this faceless kind of, you know, easy to villainize thing is i'd like to get a little bit of your history steve just to kind of humanize your position so maybe people can take a softer approach where they realize that you're a person just like everybody else but you know is this a career that you like was this your intended career like when you went off to college like this is the position i'm hoping to get or how did you find yourself in the position of the minnesota dnr waterfall specialist
2: so, uh, so I, I started college. I went to college in uh, uh, St. Paul um, in in the fall of '85, and I got a biology degree. Um, I did not know at that time that, um, like, uh, there was even a really a career in in terms of like a wildlife. But um, as an undergrad, I worked um, uh, with a. Ph.D. student at the U on a duck project, and also had a a professor um, uh, got a little grant, and um, um, so I did a a deer telemetry project with a handful of deer down um, around Fort Snelling, and that was sort of my exposure to um, yeah, there's potential career in wildlife, Um, and so after college, um, I worked um, all for. I guess, maybe six years on a whole variety of uh, mainly duck projects all over the country. Um, in some cases, uh, big game projects. And often, they were three to six month uh, positions. And then in 95, I went back to grad school uh, to focus on waterfowl at Iowa State. Uh, got my master's. Um, went to Texas. Uh, worked as a Uh, in the waterfall program there for a couple years and then, uh, you know, I'm I'm from Pier, South Dakota, so I wanted to get back up, uh, north and move north in, um, uh, the fall of 03. And that's when I started with DNR and, um, I don't have a whole lot of interest in any other, uh, jobs, um, right now. I like what I do, um, you know, but it's mostly been a waterfall focus. I'm a very avid waterfall hunter, but um, um, I also like um, um, all the other aspects of dealing with hunters. Um, I fly a lot of surveys. Um, um, I can do a little bit of research, um, some um, sort of number crunching analysis, that sort of thing. So, yeah, um, and I, and I think the other thing... Um, uh, Minnesota has been fortunate in that um, we've had three waterfall biologists in probably 60 years: uh, Bob Jessen, Jeff Lawrence, and myself. Uh, we all, uh, those two are retired, uh, still live in Bemidji, and uh, I talk to them uh, often. Um, but it's um, an extremely long history, and uh, I've certainly benefited. Um, uh, from sort of their knowledge, and, you know, I I don't think there's another state in the country that's had uh, three uh, state waterfall biologists over, you know, 60 years. Some states, um, they probably can or more. So uh, that's been, a, uh, I think, a blessing to me to uh, benefit from them. Um, but, yeah, I, I like my job, even with... Um, uh, some of the criticism that comes with it. <laughs>
1: and there is, and there is plenty. I remember right. <laughs> back when, uh, uh, when the debate was going around of just, uh, the different zones for Minnesota, you know, we have the, the three yep. zones now and splitting the season, you know, cause people, some, and again, this goes back to what we said before, like you have your example of two, two waterfowlers, you're going to get three opinions, You know, some people think it starts too early. Some people think it ends too late. You know, when you try to, you know, and geographically Minnesota, it's pretty unique. You know, uh, it is. You know, the northern part of the state can lock up in ice uh, in late October in certain years, and then, meanwhile, southern part of the state won't lock up until you know December. So it's 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 hard to make rules that or guidelines that are that's going to make everybody from top to bottom happy. Um, so I mean, I remember that whole debate and people were just losing their mind and that, and that still came up. That's one of the the questions that I, that I got to pass on to you. So I guess at this point, I'll just kind of start running down some of these, um, these questions on just pure curiosity. So this spring, you know, with the whole COVID thing, that fishing license sales were like way up, I guess. Have you, do you have that kind of data or have we seen, is there any kind of preliminary reports coming in? Are people buying hunting licenses more this fall?
2: Yeah. yeah. Uh, both um, uh, like fishing and turkey licenses uh, were way up. Uh, the only data I have, um, I had the uh, licensing um, uh, pull, uh, our early goose permit sales uh, through the first three days of uh, this year. Um, Compared to the first three days last year, um, uh, so Saturday through Monday, um, uh, they were up 16%. Um, I expect that will hold or be held through the season. Um, uh, I think early goose permit sales um, are very correlated with uh, duck stamp sales uh, through the year. Or so, um, but I have not asked them um, uh, for the like the, the total yet um i'll get an update uh, next tuesday on uh duck stamp sales through opening weekend uh they've been uh pulling those numbers for 10 plus years so um i have a pretty good metric on that and my guess is we'll uh, see a you know a 10 to 20 percent increase in duck stamp sales but um again um if, uh, I'll know next Tuesday. And I, and I think um, typically we uh, about 80% of our deck stamps are sold through opening weekend, and then the remainder, the other 20% occur uh, later in the season. But um, sales through opening weekend uh, will be very reflective of what sales will be for the entire year. So um, I, I think there's going to be an increase. Um especially with uh, like Canada's closed. um, uh, I think there'll be a lot of pressure in North Dakota. So, you know, I think um, a lot of our hunters are uh, not only will we see an increase, but uh, probably um, an increase in effort in terms of number of days that uh, current hunters hunt in Minnesota. But again, um, I'll know better next week.
1: Sure. So, All right. So, going the next question I'm going to ask you is kind of our zones. One of the things that are coming up because people are still, you know, not happy, can't please anybody. But the thing that's been tossed around for the last few years is potentially a like a river zone that will be open later for these, you know, hardcore honkers and mallards that really never leave, and uh, opening up, you know, extending our season even later into the winter, you know, some sort of um prolonged opener, you know, maybe a mid October opener for that river zone so that it carries on a few more weeks. Is is that something that you are looking at? Is that something that's potentially in the cards with the feds?
2: Yep. Um yeah, and back in um twenty twelve uh when we um implemented our three uh current zones, um uh, we took public input, we had public, uh, meetings, um, we did, um, a, a mail-out hunter survey and we asked, um, uh, that question, uh, would you prefer, uh, you know, we, we drew, a kind of, um, a, a river zone and our current south zone, uh, which would you prefer? And it was pretty overwhelming that, uh, they did not want a river zone, um, The fear there was, um, like, too many hunters would come down and hunt in that zone late, and there'd be a ton of pressure if that was the only place that was open. Uh, So uh, there was strong support to have a south zone that covered more of the state, um, uh, like our south zone does right now. And, yeah, so... (laughs) And again, that was from public um, public input, public meetings, um, mail-out surveys. And uh, we're going to look at some of that again uh, for 2021, but um, um, it's, it's an option, uh, but it certainly wasn't supported um, back when we set the zones up.
1: Yeah, I think it's kind of um, a niche uh, interest. I mean, it's pretty much only for the hard, hardest of hardcore late season waterfallers And that definitely is a concern that certain areas would get, you know, there'd just be so much pressure. There's only so much room. Um, But I know it's been brought to me up to me as far as like, not just the Southern rivers, but even like the Mississippi between twin cities and St. Cloud, especially, you know, around Monticello, where that can stay open for well, all winter long, thanks to the power plant. And if the river zones could be, you know, like basically you would draw them out as highlighting just certain river, you know, some of the more major river systems, if that's, you know, a possibility that would at least spread out some of the pressure. I mean, I know I've seen honkers and mallards all year round on some of those rivers, especially the Mississippi and even some parts of the Minnesota. Yeah, there's
2: certainly uh, uh, mallards and geese, uh, certainly winter here, um, you know, and it's it's a trade-off in that um, you only have 60 days um, in whatever zone uh, we lay out on the map. Um, and so if you want to hunt early, uh, which a lot of people like, if you want to hunt late, which some people like, and if you want to hunt all the days in between, we um, don't have enough days to do it uh, to satisfy everyone. So either you, uh, like if you're, if you want to hunt late, you're going to have to delay the opener or take a long split. Um, if you want to hunt early, um, you know, and not split, well, there's no late opportunity uh, that way. So, you know, it's a trade off and sort of a balance, I think. But, um, yeah, to play like a river zone out, um, certainly up past the cities would be. Um, It'd be very hard in that you have to encompass some of the land around it, and yeah, that that would be difficult. But um, uh, yeah, there's you know, and like northern Minnesota hunters, um, we've never had a full season in the north zone, and um, on most wetlands, we're going to be frozen um, before the season ends every year. Right. So. You know, maybe the, the huge uh, you know, Winnie and maybe Leach and some rivers. But um, that's all a trade-off on, um, like, what your preference is.
1: Right. And I guess I was assuming that other people would be aware of that. But that's one of the things that I think people are going to have a hard time with that, a river zone, if you expanded it to those kind of northern uh, areas, is that you would have to, as you said, postpone the opening or have a big split. And there's definitely going to be some people – that are not going to be happy with that, you know, and again, right. the, you've got your hardcore guys that they don't deer hunt. They don't ice fish. They don't, you know, they only waterfall hunt and they're the ones that are probably going to be more uh, in for a late river mallard hunt or something like that. And I would think, the, you know, the vast majority of your everyday uh, people probably like the earlier season because it's before deer hunting, and they don't have to sacrifice whether they're going to be sitting in a tree stand or they're going to be in the duck blind. So that's that's going to be one of those for sure that, you know, you ask 50 duck hunters, you know, you poll them that, you're going to get a wide range of pros and cons for sure. Uh, but that was one that ben, that
2: did come up. And we've asked um, on all the uh, mail-out hunter surveys, um, we do, we ask uh, preference for uh, season dates in each uh, zone, and um, in our 2017 survey, the season dates um, uh, we set in each zone were the most preferred by hunters in each of those zones, so uh, we're setting the most preferred seasons um, even though, um, you know, there's folks who don't like it, but uh, again, the, the surveys... Um, are pretty representative uh, they're mailed out to uh, a random sample of about four thousand um uh duck stamp buyers so uh in uh, by zone, so we know preferences and um yeah and, and the you know the argument is well, I didn't get a survey or I don't believe it or something but uh, they're, they're valid surveys and uh they represent i think hunter interest um and we're doing another one after this season uh, to gauge interest and support again. But um, again, uh, you know, to me, season dates should be set by the, you know, sort of the will of the duck hunters and um, for preference of duck hunters. And um, and I, I guess uh, maybe opinions have changed some, but uh, we'll find out after the season.
1: Sure, and I think a lot of that, you know, I think people's memories are short. I think a lot of their reactions, or I should say that a lot of times it's reactionary. So if we have an early winter, you know, people are going to be pissed off that, well, there's still two weeks and we can't hunt because everything's locked up and this is why it should be earlier. And then next year, because our weather in Minnesota varies greatly from year to year, it's like, you know, then you change the dates to earlier and maybe don't have a, as big a split. And then next thing you know, lakes don't freeze up until Christmas. And, uh, the season's closed. You know, that's one of the common uh, complaints I hear is that the season closes and then the, then those Canadian mallards show up, you know, it's like, well, you know, there's no way to plan out the season and know what the weather's going to do.
2: You know? Well, and the, you know, especially the last uh, two years and, um, uh, more so in uh, 2018, uh, we had um, uh, very uh, cold falls, I guess, um, um, early freeze-up in most of the state. Um, probably the 10 years before that, um, were often extremely late, uh, very warm falls, and, you know, it's, you know, our hunters are, are pretty fickle, as you kind of uh, alluded to, that, um, yeah, and I, I can't predict this fall's weather, but, um you know, if it was gonna freeze early, um I would not use a long split, but um you know, we just don't know that. And uh the over the last twenty years the trend has been uh later freeze ups, warmer falls, so um you know, uh taking splits, uh to extend the season a little bit, um to me is not that risky. Um again the last two years were cold, but um you know we don't you can't predict that
1: right and, and and it's you know murphy's law would have it the moment you change it then you're going to get a warm fall exactly <laughs> yeah. and then people are going to call you an idiot again and that's just how it goes um and I, I just think this is good i think this is a good conversation to have and you know people can scream at the radio if they want but um these are the questions that i hear you know when i'm out and about and definitely read them online in the different Facebook groups. Uh so one that I have and this is a little bit this is kind of more opinion. I hopefully there's some science to back it up too. You know, when the early goose season was first uh brought about, it was brought about as a way to reduce, you know, local populations, but now after you know, recovering bands and the and the information we're getting from bands, it seems that most of the geese that we're shooting in the early season aren't really local they're from illinois indiana iowa wisconsin you know by the banding studies um does that change the way we do the management or i mean i guess we're still helping out populations just not our own and is there a way i mean what could we do to actually help reduce our local populations, more you know, an earlier summer season or a, like a special spring season—is that anything yeah, that's come across it, your desk?
2: Um, I guess uh, you might recall, and I don't, I can't remember the year, but uh, we had um, an August season for three years, and um, you know, essentially, kind of west, central, and southern Minnesota. Um, that, that's right. Uh, we shot some geese that's right. um uh when, at, when we evaluated it um we didn't shoot any more of our local birds um essentially we shifted harvest from september into august but we didn't um uh, increase harvest rates which is uh, um that's based on banding data uh, we didn't increase overall harvest um we actually had a drop in hunter numbers. But um, in the end, um, it didn't change anything um, other than, you know, instead of shooting geese in September, we shot some in August. Um, so we uh, stopped that season. Um, uh, we still shoot a lot of geese. and We have pretty high harvest rates on our local band of birds. A lot of the uh, bands that... Um, you're seeing from other states or migrant birds, um, that head north, um, uh, in the summer, um, you know, uh, late May, early June, and then migrate back south in September. Uh, so they get shot here, but, um, um, overall our goose population, um, is still, um, above our goal. Um, we don't do a special goose survey anymore, but, um. we have a lot of geese, but they've been pretty stable. The population is, at least in my opinion, and um, um, we have talked. um, In fact, our flyway approved a change um, uh, for for next year to go. um, uh, Right now, our season is um, 107 days long. Uh, We have a five goose bag in September and then three after that. And our flyway approved going to 107 days and thigh to the entire season. Um, I don't know if the Fish and Wildlife Service will approve that. Uh, you know, we didn't do surveys this year. Um, there was not. Uh, we didn't do any goose banding here. Um, they may um, deny that because of lack of data, um, but um, that's something we've uh, talked about and supported in Minnesota for a long time. Uh, it won't change harvest very much, but um, it would be a little simpler season. And, um, and again, keep the uh, harvest pressure up on our local birds. So uh, we'll, have to, we'll know uh, late this fall if that's approved or not for next year. But, uh, um, it's you know, it was a positive that our flyway approved it anyway.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's above and beyond kind of what I was hoping for. I was going to say I remember when we had a late season that it went back to five and maybe kind of reinstituting that five throughout the season. I don't think you're going to get – that might be the one thing, Steve, that (laughs) all waterfowlers will be like, yes, we agree with that. (laughs) Five all season long. That would be great. And I do think – I think um, later in the season when you start getting into those uh, birds that winter here, I think those are more of your local geese, you know, in air quotes. So later in the season as hardcore guys being able to uh, harvest a few more – might actually help the local population but that you brought into something i was going to talk to you about banding um is there much for banding going on in the state and i don't mean just for you know i know uh, some banding projects got put on hold due to covid but in general have you know what's going on with banding around the state yep uh,
2: so all our goose banding was uh, canceled um that typically t- typically happens in um, uh, June, early July. Um, we've been banding, um, I don't know, 3,000 geese a year all over the state. Um, uh, that was, um, we didn't band any geese this year. Our duck banding um, is, um, uh, we're banding right now. Um, we'll wrap up uh, middle of next week. And our duck banders have had a phenomenal year. Um, uh And they band um, in a handful of areas. And then right now we're up at uh, Thief and Rosso in the Northwest uh, rocket netting birds. Um, But they've had um, um, as good a year as uh, maybe as we've ever had um, in terms of uh, uh, banding. And they should band some more uh, before the middle of next week. Uh, We have to end before the season opens. Um, uh, or Actually, by... um, I think Thursday they'll wrap up. But, um, yeah, it's been a good uh, banding year for ducks. Um, uh, most other states banded ducks, and most uh, did not band geese. So kind of a, a goofy year uh, in our flyway. Um, uh, in Canada, there was uh, very limited banding for anything that was done.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, closing down the border, I assume, would... Uh greatly affect <laughs> that um, right. Researchers going up and you know with snow goose numbers and stuff like that and just being able to travel up there is going to be an issue um i would suspect that you know people not being able to go into canada to hunt this year won't be one of the driving factors of increased license sales i would think people are like well we'll just yeah. stay local i guess but now uh, maybe people would i don't know maybe people that go to canada also hunt locally i mean that, that's probably likely too, so maybe there isn't a maybe there isn't a big correlation there that's just a side note um all right so that covers the early and late season uh and banding covered banding that's awesome uh it's not curiosity what do you like what's the primary duck that they're that they're getting in those rocket nests in that part of the state um we getting like is it mostly mallards? Is it wood ducks? Is it ringers?
2: Uh, uh, pretty much all mallards, um, and to some extent wood ducks. Uh, and a lot of our wood ducks um, up there are, are molt migrant uh, males that um, from states south of us that come up and molt. Uh, we catch them, band them. Uh, they're not local birds, really, but um, uh, but it's pretty much all mallards, Um uh all, like all the divers um uh you can't catch those on ro- uh, via rocket nets. Um, the birds have to walk up um on shore uh, oh uh, to okay the I up. gotcha. yeah um, some years uh, we catch um you know if you know small numbers of pintails and other dabblers but uh, predominantly uh, mallards
1: okay, right on. I've only ever recovered one duck band and that was a a private band of uh, mallard so just somebody at their own little backyard whatever (laughs) they bought some bought some mallards banded them and let them go with their phone number on it. i guess uh yeah i haven't been lucky enough although i've seen a couple wood duck bands um harvested i just wasn't lucky enough to be the one to uh to get it but um i think this one will be an easy answer uh, cause I just don't think it's ever going to happen. Uh, but some people asked about a swan season cause there has, I mean, the swans are doing quite well. Uh, and I think I understand the reasoning behind it, but I'll let you kind of dive into that one. If that's something that would ever be on the table here in Minnesota. Yeah.
2: Um, I won't say it's off the table. Um, I guess I'll, um,
0: I will note
2: that uh, this fall, um, um, as I said before, we're doing a mail-out hunter survey um, early January, right when the season closes, but uh, we're also going to take online public input. Um, at the same time, um, it'll be like a survey monkey format. Uh, anyone goes in and uh, we'll have questions and uh, get feedback on uh, pretty much um all our regulations um, um, so uh, that's something we don't do very often but um, um, as of now we're going to ask um, hunters um, uh, what they think about a swan season and uh, we have two populations in Minnesota or trumpeters um, that uh, breed here um, many of them winter here and um, they're doing fantastic. Um, population is um, uh, growing exponentially, uh, meaning every five years it doubles. Wow. Um, we probably have, um, you know, my guess is um, as of like today, um, if you included cygnets, uh, we probably have 40 plus thousand swans. Um, we probably had 30,000 this spring. Plus signets, you know, um, out now. Um, And yeah, and they keep doubling and expanding their range. Um, They're moving west and south. There's not a lot of trumpeter swans that nest out in the prairies yet. Uh, But uh, certainly up where I am in Bemidji, um, they're everywhere. Um, And, you know, Bemidji to uh, Detroit Lakes, Alex. Uh, Park Rapids, Brainerd, um, sort of that area is sort of the core. Um, we also have um, large numbers of tundra swans that migrate through the state. Um, um, in the fall, they come typically in November. Um, uh, there's a, about six states right now uh, that hunt tundra swans, uh, North South Dakota, uh, Montana, uh Virginia, North Carolina, Delaware, I think. Um, uh, we have large numbers in Minnesota, um, uh, northern Minnesota, and also on the river in southeast Minnesota. Um, uh, those are hunted via permits uh, based on estimated number um, of tundra swans in your state in the fall. Um, but uh, like for us, we can't really have... A, thunder swan season because we have so many trumpeters, but um, uh, Fish and Wildlife Service uh, last year um, authorized take of trumpeter swans in states that have tundra swan seasons. Um, they don't take very many, but it's more just to legalize um, like um, if a hunter shoots one, um, uh, they're not a criminal. Um, but yeah, I think... Um, and-
1: so that's a that's official that's officially like you can it is yep. okay and so, when did that when yeah, did that so, come into was that in effect last year
2: it, i don't think it was um in effect last year it is now okay uh, it is so, in effect. yep and you know there there are very few um uh breeding uh, trumpeter swans in like north south dakota there's a handful but um uh, harvest would be very low, but the hunters can't tell them apart. Um,
1: no, it's very difficult. Uh, but,
2: yeah, but at least it it sort of opened the door. Um, I think to um, uh, it was a uh, the service uh, proposed it. It was a good step. Uh, um, our flyway right now is uh, working on updating our trumpeter swan management plan, and there will be talk about cake in there uh before we finalize that. I don't know what cake means um in terms of um you know it's very well, I don't, yeah. I'm not sure political is the right word, but um um you know most of the trumpeter swans in North America are, are in Minnesota. Um you know and we have not had a, any serious discussion about at um, swan season, but the um, first step is to gauge interest from hunters, um, which uh, we'll do this fall. And then I think we'll have to expand that to maybe more like the general public to see uh, what their take would be on. Uh, you know, there, there's certainly people, um, non hunters, that, um, uh, you know, would. would uh, adamantly oppose a swan season um but if we ever had a swan season it would be very regulated um, it would be a permit only um you know maybe a couple hundred uh, swans in the state or something like that so uh would have no impact on the population but um yeah so it's um uh it's on the horizon um again that's um that decision is uh many pay grades above me. Uh, But but I've been at meetings. Our commissioner has been asked about that. Um, You know, and you know, it's perhaps something our uh, state legislature would um, uh, weigh in on. They did that when we opened our morning dove season. Um, But again, from the uh, uh, biological perspective, um, uh, we've got tons of swans and, um, Right, actually, I'm involved a little bit in a research project uh, uh, with uh, David Wolfson's a PhD student at the U. Um, I think he has about, I think, close to forty trumpeters uh, marked in Minnesota this year um, uh, with uh, GPS radios, so we can track them uh, year round. Um, It won't really inform a hunting season, but it's basic information on how many winter here and how much they move in a year, uh, things like that. So it's a really good uh, project and uh, very timely, I think, to um, press to have that data right now. Oh, yeah,
1: I'd love to get him on the podcast. That would be that would be really interesting. Um, yeah, I, I brought that up because I know there is going to be, you know, you and I both know that 200 swans out of the entire population isn't even going to scratch, um, what did you say, 20,000? Is that what we have? Uh-huh
2: actually um uh probably 30,000 adults and 40,000 total oh my god and that's just that's just trumpeters um and you know virtually every tundra swan in north america comes through minnesota uh, both in the spring and the fall um they're not here very long in the fall but um uh, certainly in november um if we had you know an open swan season um a fair amount of the harvest would probably be um
1: Uh, tundra swans yeah so i know that's going to once you get to the public input stage i know for a fact there's going to be a fight um there was a fight for the morning doves i mean they're they're songbirds to most people that aren't hunters even though they don't you know don't realize that like dove hunting is a huge part of hunting culture in just about every other state especially south of here um but the swan thing there's they're so large um they're so aesthetically pleasing that you're really gonna have a fight on your hands with those, and you know you can talk about numbers all you want with them. They don't care. They're, these are just to them. There, it's a it's a pretty off limits bird. <laughs> uh, that's gonna be a huge hurdle to get over. Now, it's my understanding that part of the Swan recovery, that somebody left. I should have done better homework on this. I don't know the person's name, but somebody you know left the state some grant money or some sort of uh, gift and uh, that was to do and part of the agreement of that, that there wouldn't ever be a Swan season in this state. Is that, is there truth to that?
2: Um, <clears throat> uh, to my knowledge, no. Okay. Um,
1: I don't remember where I read that, but.
2: Yeah, I know. Um, um, I've heard that um, uh, back uh, in the eighties when uh, we, we're uh, getting involved in restoration of them um, that uh, Roger Holmes was our wildlife director at that time. And I've heard statements that um, um, said, uh, you know, we're not going to restore them uh, to hunt them. Uh, But again, that's, you know, uh, decades ago. And I don't know if there's, um, uh, I don't put a lot of and that comment may have just been
1: made, taken out of context, too, and, and right, expanded to something yeah. it isn't. Right. Well, yeah, nobody... I mean, I would hope that science is what we lean on, you know. And I think one of the frustrations for me as a hunter is when is when legislatures get, in, legislators get involved. Um, what does the biology say? What is what are the numbers? What is the harvest? What is the overall impact? And if it's healthy enough for harvest, I see no reason not to have a season on them. Um, you know, it's
2: another yeah. And our um, our goal um, again, it's uh, very dated, but um, um, our current goal for trumpeter swans is uh, 30 free flying breeding pairs and 500 total. Uh, again, um, you know, it, uh, we probably have forty thousand right now. <laughs> way, um, way above so, that. <laughs> yeah, and you know, I fly a lot of surveys in the spring, and um, uh, to have thirty uh, breeding pairs, um, you know, I can count uh, thirty swans on this um, in a couple minutes uh, flying around Bemidji. So, um, yeah, no yeah. Doubt. So we're way above that, and we've. Uh, done a great job, um, and been fortunate to, uh, uh, restore them. Um, but, um, yeah, they're doing fantastic. And, and
1: that's, that's-
2: uh, nobody knows how many, um, uh, we'll have, but, you know, I think if they expand into the prairies, um, there's a lot of unused habitat there. Um, they certainly can nest on, uh, muskrat houses and things like that. Um, um, they could really explode if they uh, sort of move further south and west. but um, well, I have some um,
1: anecdotal evidence of that. Uh, names will not be mentioned to protect the uh, <laughs> the, the parties, uh, but last fall, um, a couple hunters had tundra swan tags in North Dakota, and they were hunting way west. and uh, yep. got their couple swans came into the spread they shoot the swans and as soon as they got their hands on them knew right away that these were not tundras and they self-reported they called the local DNR and the, the officer dismissed it. I mean, he was like, uh, well, we don't have those out here. Uh um, right. well, <laughs> you have two. you have two less than you did yesterday. <laughs> so, uh, I do believe that they are expanding. Um, uh, but yeah, he, he, assured us that there wasn't going to be any issues. So that's why I asked you earlier if that was in effect last year. Um, but it, it wasn't, but it's also my understanding that they understand that it's almost impossible to identify on the wing, you know, yeah, if tundras are smaller, they have the little yellow patch, but to see that, you know, while they're flying is good luck. I mean,
2: yeah. And to tough. my knowledge, it's, it's never been enforced. Um, and, You know, I think um, uh, South Dakota has, um, um, I've hunted swans in South Dakota, and uh, uh, hunters uh, uh, submit a bill card, so they trace the bill, and you can tell uh, from the size of the bill, uh, trumpeter tundra, and it's probably a couple of trumpeters a year, maybe shot. Um, And, you know, most hunters probably uh, don't know the difference, they shoot it, and take it home, eat it, and, you know, uh, no harm, no foul type of thing, And but, yeah, I don't think it's ever been enforced um, just because, um, yeah, I mean, it's to some extent a species outside its range um, because there are very few right now that nest um, in North, South Dakota, so it's uh, likely Minnesota birds uh, moving a little bit west, and if oh, with, one gets shot, you know, so what?
1: With those numbers, I mean, you know, you're looking at thirty to 40,000. I mean, they're going to have to expand their range at some point. Right. You know, and is there any, this just popped in my head right now. Are we seeing any, with their increasing numbers, are they impacting other nesting waterfall? Like, are they crowding out? Canada, obviously, the Canada goose population is doing just fine, but is are they crowding out any mallards or uh, anything? Are we seeing anything like that?
2: Yeah, um, uh, I guess um, uh, we had a, a regional meeting today and uh, uh, talked about the waterfowl research a little bit, and that came up. Um, I, I don't think so in terms of um, impacts to ducks. Um, you know, most of the ducks on wetlands... You know, they're, they're nesting in the uplands or in the sedge around there. Um, there's probably a little influence on um, exclusion of geese. Um, but um, for the most part, um, I, I don't think so. Um, they're still classed as a non-game bird in Minnesota. So, you know, I'm in wildlife, and they're technically non-game responsibility. Uh, so we can't really do... Um, a ton of research on them um, cause they're non-game, but, um, um, our, our non-game folks did look a couple of years ago to see if, um, uh, if they were doing any, uh, like crop damage, um, uh, did some assessments and, uh, they're probably not doing a lot of crop damage. Uh, they're eating, uh, a waste grain, um, uh, most of where they nest, um, They're not really in proximity to a soybean field. So, like geese, um, do a fair amount of crop damage. They nest, walk off um, to wetland to a a corn or soybean field and do some damage. But the swans are not really nesting in our ag ag region yet, so not a ton of damage. Um, That might occur in the future, but uh, so far not. So far we're doing all good with that. All right, well
1: well, you're telling me there's a chance. I thought that was going to be just about completely off the table, but that's, uh, that's good news for sure. All right. Now we're getting to some of the, some of the meatier ones. I only got like three questions left for you and I cut you loose here, but one that was brought up, um, today to me, um, just happened to be at the same time. Um, Nick Johnson, who I have on, I have a waterfall Wednesday segment that I do on this podcast every week. And, uh, he, he goes full bird nerd on a lot of this stuff. So we do a lot in this state with, like, spring nesting habitat. You know, we have the CRP. We've got WMAs and WPAs and waterfowl production areas, and those are great for producing ducks. But it seems that we're producing ducks for other states to shoot. And his question, is there any – are we doing anything to look at, like, improving fall habitat to – you know, retain some of these ducks, uh, offer better feeding grounds, um, stuff like, you know, maybe the idea would be like on a, on a WPA, Waterfall Production Area, well, yes, they're open to hunting, but the tall grasses aren't really conducive to waterfall hunting. They're great for pheasant hunters. I know they love them. But would it be something that we could implement these programs or release them out to, you know? cattle farmers where they can graze them or they can be cut down for hay so that you actually have a harvested large area of of cut down grass that would be more conducive for geese to feed in ducks to feed in and expand opportunities for you know some you know legitimate hunting public hunting opportunities for waterfowlers in the fall and is that any is anything like that going in conversations
2: yeah, um and uh maybe not so much on WPAs. Um, you know, that's uh, federal and sure. we don't have a lot of uh, say in that. But um um back in um, January uh we uh, completed our uh duck action plan uh that included a lot of you know a lot of habitat um objectives um uh to improve habitat uh, both spring and fall. Um uh, certainly our, uh, folks that work in the grassland area, um, uh, certainly promote, uh, things like burning and grazing. Um, um, I think if we could, um, uh, graze more areas, um, you know, if, uh, folks had, uh, uh more cows or something to do that, or it was more conducive, um, we would do more of it. Um, but, uh, yeah, there's certainly a, a, a fair amount of work um, looking at improving habitat, uh, not only spring but fall. Now, the, the habitat on the lakes, um, you know, we've been, you know, we're, we're sort of fighting the uh, high water that we've had for decades, and it's worse now in terms of um, um, all the uh, tile drainage that uh, tends to run into big, shallow lakes, so... Um, We have high water um, and stable water, um, lots of uh, invasive um, hybrid cattail, invasive fish. Um, So our shallow lakes, uh, especially in western Minnesota, are in crappy shape. Uh, We know that. Um, It's very, very hard to manage them. Um, uh, We certainly have some uh, success stories, but um, uh, to manage you know, thousands of them, um, is probably not going to happen. Um, we wish we could, but, um, yeah, uh, but, yeah, we're certainly, um, you know, that fall habitat, uh, both in terms of, um, you know, especially the shell lake habitat, um, uh, is certainly a priority, but, um, um, in many cases, you know, we don't have water control over the basin. Um, and there's just like so much you can do, um, And it's um, extremely expensive when you uh, start looking at um, uh, water control structures and things like that. So uh, we're aware of it and trying.
1: Is there anything that can like really be done with the like tiling? I mean, I know it's a, it can be a touchy subject for sure. Um, You know, I'm usually all for land rights and you know, it's their land. They can do what they want with it, but it also what they, their land practices do run downstream. So Is there conversations about, you know, a buffer zone between their tiling so that it has to be, you know, filtered before it can reach these lakes and so it's not just a super freeway right into their drainage ditches right into the local lake? Is is there anything going on with that?
2: Yeah, I mean, we have a a buffer law that um, uh, the governor put into effect. I think it's um, um, been pretty well received, and I think most – areas um, do have buffers now. I think that's helped. But, um, you know, in terms of, um, uh, like, pattern tile, um, you know, that's uh, that's all legal drainage. Um, you know, we have a, a state uh, Wetland Conservation Act that prevents drainage um, um, of wetlands, but the pattern tiling is legal. Um, uh, they're not draining you know, quote, uh, wetlands. Um, and yeah, so it's, um, uh, we've certainly had some conversations. I think, um, again, this is uh, a many pay grades above me to get into, um, discussions between, um, land management of, you know, uh, DNR and the ag community. Um, you know, that's, um, way above me. Um, we certainly um, do not want to see it, but again, it's legal, and so right. you can't fault uh, um, a farmer for um, uh, putting in pattern tile and you know draining a field, um, and that water, you know, it's going downhill and somewhere, and often um, into some of our shallow lakes that uh, bump the water levels up that we don't like, but. Again, it's not, it's legal.
1: Yeah, what's the state of the state with the CRP program right now? I know there was, um, they're having issues before about people not, you know, re-enrolling, and uh, what's going on with that?
2: Yeah, we've lost, I think, uh, somewhere near uh, uh, close to a million acres in the past 10 to 15 years. Um, um, You know, for the most part, I think the... The rental rates just aren't, um, um, haven't been that competitive in terms of, um, you know, uh, like corn and bean prices have dropped um, in recent years. But for a while, um, uh, they were through the roof, and uh, so farmers, um, landowners, uh, uh, pulled areas out of CRP and farmed them uh, just because, um, you know. Uh, it's a cost-benefit uh, issue that sure. uh, they could make a ton of money uh, putting beans in, and um, the prices were high. They they dropped, um, stabilized now some, but um, yeah, again, that's a you know a federal program, or uh, certainly our agency and our flyway has uh, supported um, you know any increases in the CRP um, or, or signups, but um, you know it's. Um, Again, kind of as you alluded to, it's kind of a private um, private lands issue. It's up to the farmer to um, uh, try and enroll areas, and uh, we would like to have more areas enrolled, but um, it is a pretty expensive program, um, uh, you know, both in Minnesota and nationally. Um, um, you know, again, it's, um, it was set up not for wildlife habitat, but to take land out of production, uh, to in theory increase, uh, you know, uh, uh crop prices. But, um, um, over time it's shifted to, um, you know, certainly a huge wildlife benefit and, um, you know, c- certainly, uh, uh, you know, besides ducks, uh, pheasants benefit as do a lot of other things. And, um, we would like to see an increase, but, um, Again, that's uh you know us Congress um, um, in, in terms of allocation and and uh, payments and things like that
1: yeah I mean it, it just comes down to money I mean it's the whole reason they're tiling in the first place is to you know grow more crops, make more money so uh, right. the, if the CRP program can't grow with it and it's not a big enough carrot for them they're gonna they're gonna choose the option you know if you could make it lucrative enough, they would for sure do it. You know, but then it's like, where do we get that money? You know, it's, it's that's a that's a tough one. Um, so I mean, I guess people can start reaching out to their their representatives and start putting a bug in there you Right? Squeaky wheel gets the grease. Yeah, I mean, exactly. I, I mean, I think that could benefit everything. You know, with that with a buffer, um, maybe there's a way to kind of wrap all that up together like you know to give them some sort of incentive to not tile or if they're going to tile you know have a section of crp or you know that's it's above my pay grade for sure and above my education so so i'll leave that to a lot smarter people uh but i can definitely see uh something you know in that in that realm would be you know I'm lacking in the words that I'm trying to find to put it together, but um I think there's an answer. I just don't know how we get to that answer and, and where we get the money to, to make it happen. Um uh, but on that on the fall habitat kind of a thing, um you know, a lot of other states and western states have these walk in programs and I know we have one in Minnesota, but it doesn't seem to be very expansive. Is there any talks about getting that? better
2: yep, expanding um, it yeah we got a grant uh from the uh federal government uh, to um implement that um i think we expanded it this year um a little bit but um again it's uh it's uh pretty expensive. um um and yeah i think our you know it's it's more probably of a you know, a pheasant program than, than for ducks, um, even though you can hunt ducks on walk-in um, areas. But, um, yeah, I think um, we're looking um, or have, have thought about trying to expand it. It's just a money uh, factor, again, on you know, how do you pay for it. And, uh, again, um, I'd probably defer to our upland folks on the uh probably more knowledgeable about it than I am, but um, um uh, but yeah that that's ac- actually um one of the objectives in or both our duck action plan and pheasant action plan to expand it um, I can't remember the number of additional acres uh, we were looking for, but uh, that's in the works uh, but it's probably not gonna ever be um you know uh, statewide or some massive um Expansion or uh, certainly won't look like um, like South Dakota has a, a huge walk in right uh, yeah. program. But, uh, yeah, uh, uh, it, 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 I don't think uh, Minnesota will ever look like that, but um, I, I think it's pretty popular, um, you know, in the Southwest and um, uh, uh, hunters like it.
1: Well, I think the going back to the fall habitat thing with the grazing, I think that's a, a pretty good avenue to go down, and hopefully we can get some growth and improvement on that. Um, right. You know, you kind of bring back the the big uh, megafauna grazers of the prairies. You know, when the when the bison used to be around, I think the cattle can kind of take that place, and it's going to be better. You know, I think you're going to end up with a better product all the way around for game and non-game species. You, you know, better soil, um, just overall better ecosystem uh, i think that's kind of Great. a win-win for all parties uh, you're gonna have better food for cattle that's been you know land that's been rested and all the nutrients coming up from the different plants and their tap roots and uh, that's going to go right into the beef and yeah that's a that's a big win-win i'd like to see that get expanded for sure uh all right well let's get in the last two. Bi- oh, real quick before i get in the last two everybody's all fired up now that Canada is starting to shoot cormorants are, are there any talks about a cormorant season? I don't even know why we'd want one. I can't imagine they taste great, <laughs> but I know walleye anglers would like us to have a cormorant season.
2: Yeah. Um, yeah, I have not heard, uh, any internal talk about that. Um, uh, we, we shoot some cormorants, uh, for depredation issues. Mm-hmm. Um, um, I know, um, I think it's South Carolina um, um, has had, uh, maybe still does have a cormorant season. Um, I think that's the only state um, that I'm aware of that, um, you know, it's some sort of a a permit and you can shoot, I don't know, 20 or 50 or something. But um, I have not heard uh, much about that in in Minnesota. Um, I suspect we could make a... A pretty good argument for it, but um, um, yeah, I would not. Uh, I've eaten a lot of uh, <laughs> a game in my life, and <laughs> I don't know that I would eat a cormorant. Yeah, the, I've had them in my um, uh, live birds, and um, I, yeah, you you would have to twist my arm to try and eat one.
1: Yeah, the fish eating fowl don't seem to be uh, the most friendly table fare. Uh, But even then, I feel like that would just be such a specialist thing. Like uh, in all my years of of duck hunting, I don't even know how many times I've had a legit shot of harvesting a cormorant. I think there's been a few times where one would have flown in range. It's like, well, that was legal. I could have shot that. But I just don't think it happens that much. And maybe the guys that do more diver hunting on bigger waters, Leech and Winnie, maybe, maybe they, you know, maybe they would have some more opportunities. But I feel like that's a thing you would have to specifically go out and try to do
2: yeah and certainly on uh, some of the big lakes um they're pretty abundant um in the fall uh, you know i fly out uh, both leech and winnie um in the fall and uh, and uh especially leech uh, there can be a lot of them but um again on um, you know most of the lakes that uh, minnesota duck hunters hunt um um you probably aren't going to see any um uh, certainly not within range, but, um, yeah, they're, they're pretty concentrated on, you know, essentially our big fish lakes um, in pretty good numbers.
1: Yeah, I know I've wasted some mileage and time uh, chasing down a flock of cormorants off in the distance that I thought was a flock of geese. <laughs> um, that's fun. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. you know, there's that, but, uh, yeah, they've they've fooled me a few times dirty blackbirds but all right that was kind of a side note but all right so back to the early teal season where are we at on uh getting an early teal season
2: yeah so um our uh flyway at our meeting in uh, late august um approved um our request for minnesota to open um in 2021 or 2022 um that's not a surprise and that's uh, we were approved in 2014 uh, with the other states uh, to open an experimental teal season. We didn't do it, but um, um, so if, if we opened one, um, it would be a three-year experiment. Uh, we would have to collect uh, spy blind data uh, with certain sample sizes, uh, where we'd have staff out um, uh, watching watching hunters um, and essentially assessing. Um, Uh, the number of non-target birds, uh, so non-teal, that um, are within range and shot at or not shot at. Uh, That's the metric. Um, uh, So we could do it. Um, uh, We're going to use public input and engagement this fall, um, uh, both online and our mail-out survey to get data and see what support is like. Back in 2014, um, we did a a mail-out survey um, uh, when we had the the option of opening a teal season, and I think uh, something like 32% of Minnesota hunters supported a teal season, 41% opposed it, and then like 27% had no opinion. So in 2014, uh, Minnesota hunters did not support a teal season. Um, whether or not that's changed, um, I guess is to be determined, but, um, um, if they don't support it, um, it's hard to argue to open one. Um, uh, I've certainly heard, uh, more comments last year or two on it. Uh, but, um, again, we'll, um, We'll uh, look at the uh, public input uh, this winter, um, uh, directed at teal season, and see what um, what hunters think about it uh, before we decide.
1: It's been my understanding that in the states where they do have one, that the the incidental take or the accidental take is hasn't really been that great. So hopefully that that would stay the same here. Um, as far as hunters' uh, interest in it, I think it it has changed. It's grown. I've heard a lot of people um, talk that they would like one. What I find interesting is, you know, the teal, early teal versus early goose season. Um, even when they, you know, there was a time where you couldn't hunt geese over water during early season. Then you had the field guys versus the water guys, and they were butting heads. And, you know, your guys that hunt to bust the roost, they're chasing all the geese away and that was I think in 2014 I think a lot of that uh sentiment against the teal season was probably some goose hunters that thought people shooting teal on their goose roosts were going to mess up their hunt. Uh that seems right? <clears throat> that seems to not be the issue. This I haven't heard anybody uh at least in my circle bring that point up. So maybe now that we've been able to hunt water And we haven't seen these geese do a a mass exodus when they start getting shot off of water that maybe people's opinions have softened on that as far as, you know, the water hunting, ruining goose hunting. So maybe that has part to do uh, with the change of opinion as far as an early goose season or an early teal season, rather. So I I think you're going to see numbers jump up substantially in in the survey be my gut yeah and I think
2: its yeah if you look at the um, uh, Iowa Wisconsin uh, Michigan all um, had to uh, do an evaluation um, and for three years and um, um, with five lines they did a uh, um, exceeded their sample sizes and um, um, in the end the the, the take um, or attempted take at non targets um, was extremely low and way below the threshold. So, um, you know, maybe the the thinking is if Iowa, Wisconsin, Michigan can all hunters can all um, shoot at predominantly teal and not mallards, wood ducks, etc., um, that maybe Minnesota hunters could do it too. Well, um,
1: I would think so. I would
2: hope so. <laughs> For
1: sure. But, uh,
2: but yeah, but. It, Also, if you look to the west of us, um, you know, uh, North, South Dakota, Montana, uh, Wyoming, all could have a early teal season as well. They don't. Um, They all use a bonus bluing teal um, in lieu of a teal season. But uh, I think their issues um, are somewhat related to some of ours um, in terms of, uh, you know, potential take of uh, non-teal and also potential disturbance um, of ducks and how how it impacts opening day. You know, that to me is the biggest issue is um, uh, people think it's going to ruin their opening day if if we open a teal season. Um, Again, um, uh, time will tell, but I I do think we have a pretty good plan to to gauge public support for it. Um, you know, later this winter and, um, you know, everyone um, will have an opportunity to comment um, whether you're selected for the mail-out survey or you comment online. Um, I think we'll probably do a public uh, meeting. Um, It probably will be online, but um, um, it's probably me talking. Um, But, uh, yeah, I think we've covered our bases on... um, uh, for teal and potentially a whole lot of other regs changes uh, to get input before, you know, we let our commissioner make decisions on changes.
1: I know, is it an either-or with the early season or a plus-two, or is that something that can, it is, can yep. Okay. I wasn't sure if that's something that can be combined and kind of get both. But um, the plus-two I don't really think serves us in Minnesota very well because most of the teal – take off i mean there you know we always shoot a few in the first couple of weeks of the season but i think it's pretty well known that teal migrate pretty early uh so if you want right. i mean i think in early seasons the only i think that's the obvious choice if people want to get in on harvesting some teal um uh, the plus two might be nice but you know man by october yeah, there's just it, not that many around
2: no and it, it only lasts the first 16 days of duck season so it's kind of complicated in terms of our current, um, uh, splits. Um, so like when the end date would be, it would be, in theory, it could be different in every zone. Um, and again, you have to shoot six stacks before it even applies. Um, right. and the bonus it's restricted to blueing teal. keel. Uh, so it's not really, you know, to me, it's, it's kind of misnamed in that, um, you know, if you have, uh, say, four, four mallards and two blueing teal in your bag, uh, duck seven and eight could be wood ducks, or they don't have to be uh, bluing teal as long as you have blueing teal in the bag. So it's not right. really uh, bonus blueings, even though that's kind of sure. how it's sold. Yeah, but, it's, like uh,
1: it's two bonus ducks, basically, if you look at it that way. For sure yeah yeah that's definitely more, how people would use it I can't guarantee it and yeah like oh sweet we got we got our two teal we could still shoot six more birds yeah for sure that's how it's going to be viewed but well I think that I think that'll appease a lot of people as far as it uh, looks pretty promising for a, a teal season in our future here in Minnesota yep. anyways so that's good all right here's the this is the main one this is overwhelmingly people have been talking about this one uh this was by far the most the most popular question that came across a statewide crane season where are we with that um i have a lot of bro science with that as far as like people are like what i've heard is that the reason we don't have one is due to a wisconsin population goal is that true
2: Nope. Uh that has uh, nothing to do with it. Um <laughs> perfect. <laughs> um yeah, so um uh we have two different populations of cranes um in Minnesota. Um we hunt mid continent cranes in the northwest. Um that's essentially their breeding range, we think, in Minnesota. Um uh, we increased the bag this year up back to two a day. Um, uh, season lasts thirty seven days. It's um pretty popular. Um uh the other population um is uh called eastern population sandal cranes. Um the nest uh generally in you know the highest densities would be central Minnesota to east central Minnesota. Uh they migrate um down into mm-hmm. Kentucky, Tennessee, Florida. Um their population is doing very well. Um, we have a management plan um, in our flyway that allows hunting seasons in states um, with uh, based on fall abundance. Um, it's pretty simple. Um, Kentucky, Tennessee, and Alabama all hunt eastern um, EP cranes uh, right now. Um, we could hunt them um, uh, again. It's based on uh, the overall uh, population, and then uh, numbers in your state in the fall. And we have, we don't really survey them in the fall, but um, uh, Sherburne National Wildlife Refuge uh, does weekly sandhill crane counts. Um, I think their peak abundance in recent years has been about 12,000. Um, and the way the management plan is uh, written is states could request 10 um, percent of your peak fall abundance and permits, uh, so that'd be, uh, say, twelve thousand or twelve hundred permits, um, and we could um, give you those out um, one crane per hunter per season, or uh, two uh, per hunter, or three. How, how, it's up to the state to do that. Um, and we're aware that they're doing very well. They're expanding their range. Um, again, that, like Sherburn's count, is extremely conservative um, in terms of peak fall abundance. But um, um, we have talked um, internally um, um, about an expanded crane seed. I don't think it uh, would be statewide. I think it would be um, uh, maybe something like our central duck zone, um, where most of the cranes occur um i don't know that there's a, a whole lot of need to do it you know statewide but um um in some areas uh, there just aren't cranes so uh, like why would we have the season sure. open there but the, yeah. um, that's another one that um uh you know maybe somewhat similar to swans is um, in that there may be um uh, some folks, anti or, or non hunters, that oppose it, but um, um, I think uh, much less so than um, than with swans. Um, we asked um, on our last hunter survey. Um, uh, we actually included our crane permit holders in that survey, and uh, we asked um, a number of crane related questions on. Uh, would you um, support uh, a new season in um, East or uh, Central or East Central Minnesota? Um, We also asked our duck hunters who don't hunt cranes. And in both cases, um, there was uh, overwhelming support uh, to expand the season. Um, And yeah, again, um, that's a question we're going to ask this winter in public input. I don't, think, um, um, I, I think there'll be, uh, like overwhelming support for it. Um, uh, but if we did it, um, it would be a different hunt than in the, in the Northwest. Um, it, it would be a permit hunt that, um, you know, you get a permit to shoot one, two or three cranes for the season. Um, whereas in the Northwest right now, um, you can go and shoot two a day every day of the season if you want. So, a little bit different you know be a lottery type of thing but um uh certainly i've i'm hearing a lot of that and um and crane numbers are doing uh, fantastic and yeah they're doing great um, they're everywhere. yeah <laughs>
1: and i agree with you as oh, far right. as uh you know statewide probably isn't needed because it seems like they do congregate in that central zone and then once they leave there right. they're just gone then they they end up going right. to wherever they winter. um that's I've seen the same thing just my anecdotal evidence. Um uh, yeah, their their populations are definitely growing every year from what I can see. Um I'm starting to see them I mean I, I was working in uh in Ramsey and basically right there in like the industrial area there there you'd look out the office window and there's there's a pair right there in the grass. <laughs> it's like you never you did not see that 10 years ago. You know, like so they're oh,
2: and- yeah, like the uh, North Metro I've seen uh, videos of um, uh, cranes eating uh, french fries in McDonald's parking lots and things like that and you know, they're they're doing fantastic but you know keep in mind they're um, they're a very long-lived um, uh, game bird with the lowest uh, reproductive potential of uh, pretty much any game bird um,
1: yeah, very lower you know, they have one
2: Yep, and they don't nest until they're old. Um, they only have one to two uh, colts. Uh, but again, if we if we did open a season, um, it would be uh, you know highly regulated and uh, would not impact the population um, in terms of uh, you know overall harvest. But um, you know certainly a unique um, species to hunt, um, uh, fun to hunt, um, and. Yeah, certainly um, on our radar screen, um, uh, not for next year, but uh, perhaps at some point in the uh, not-too-distant future.
1: I think that would appease most people that I've talked to, um, uh, even the limited permit system. I've I've had a couple people even say that to me, like, you know, even if it was just, you know, like a swan tag, you could just take one a year, that would be something, you know. I think people are seeing the numbers, they're seeing it as a resource, and uh, most of us in greater Minnesota are tired of hearing how good they taste and not being able to te- check it out. So <laughs> the ribeye right. of, the, the rib of the sky, I think we're all kind of chomping at the bit and licking our chops to, to get in on that. Uh, kind of goes back oh, to what hey. we talked about, the raising them here and shooting them somewhere else. You know, it's like we're raising them here. We'd, we'd like to get a shot at them too kind of a thing. So.
2: Well, the season's open in Northwest Minnesota, and uh, there's plenty around. So um, it's a little bit of a drive, but uh, you would certainly uh, see plenty of cranes um, uh, right now up in our crane zone.
1: Right on, yeah. You just got to travel, and Dakotas have them too. I know a ton of Minnesota uh, waterfallers that go to North Dakota, so we can always you can always get your crane permit for there. Seems pretty easy, right? And I, out, out there, I think it's like five a day, isn't it? I think it's more.
2: Than um, two. I think it's, th- I think it's
1: three. I mean, it's three okay. um, yeah. So I mean, that's for my experience. I hunt North Dakota. You know, I mean, they're out there, but they're only there for kind of a specific window when they're when they're kind of migrating through, and unlike here, and probably because they're not hunted, they don't. You know, you can set a goose spread and shoot geese, but the cranes don't really come anywhere near you <laughs> i haven't had a chance i mean i when i was first doing it i would buy a permit for out there and never had a, never had an opportunity to actually harvest one so well,
2: I no, mean, they're pretty smart and um um you know they uh they're used to a little hunting pressure and um you know you you pretty much have to target them um you probably aren't going to shoot the, you know you can pass shoot them sometimes but um at least uh, with decoys, um, you're probably not going to shoot very many just uh, by chance of having them uh, come into a goose spread.
1: Yeah, I mean the first the first time we get a season, it's you know you'll probably have a lot of success the first couple of days until the birds kind of wise up and they're like, okay, I see what we yep. got going on here. But uh, yeah, <laughs> that was that was one of the big ones. So I think I successfully went through all of my. Questions that I wrote down. So, thank you very much for your time. I chewed up almost an hour and a half here here tonight. I really appreciate this. Uh, I know a lot of people expressed interest about it. So, um, and I like I like personalizing and humanizing it. So now people can hear your voice, (laughs) see that you're not this uh, evil uh, waterfall dictator that is trying to. uh, You know, you're a waterfowler. So, obviously, I think. We're all passionate about it. I think we have a pretty good product here in Minnesota. There's always room for improvement, of course. And, uh, you know, I think it's known, too, that per capita we have a lot of duck hunters and goose hunters here in the state. So um, it's kind of that there's a lot of voices at the table, a lot of hands in the cookie jar, if you will. Uh, you have a very challenging job, and uh, I appreciate the work that you've done.
2: Yeah, um yeah, you know, I guess um, just keep in mind. You know, I, I mean, I don't really make any decisions. Um, you know, I think people think I do, but um, I really don't. Um, I mean, our seasons are set by our commissioner. Um, I chair a committee that makes recommendations, and I certainly get asked opinions on things. But um, you know, and I, I field um, probably ninety nine percent of the waterfall questions that come in. But um, you know, I'm not the decision maker um but on the same note um you know people can find my email or my phone um they can email me or call me anytime they want um i don't screen calls i'll respond to virtually every email i've ever got uh, probably within the day so um if you have thoughts comments um i welcome um any comments um pro con and um we'll go from there
1: yeah, and I'll say that to everybody out there. You know, if you have a strong opinion about it, you know, and you get that thing in the mail, definitely fill it out. You know, don't wait for somebody else to do it. Keep an eye on, right. keep an eye on uh, the internet. If you know, once that survey comes out and it's online, when that when you do the meeting, like you said, it's going to be online. It's never going to be easier for people to attend, if you will, uh, to put in your input. Uh, if you're not there to give your opinion. You know to make the most extreme case if there's and this seems to happen because you know we're out there doing the thing we like to do but you get hunters sometimes get underrepresented by anti-hunters or non-hunters because they're you know they just i don't know why they don't prioritize it but they just don't prioritize it and those that are against it seem to be a little bit more passionate against it and you know if that that's who's screaming at the legislators that's that's who they're going to hear so we as waterfallers and sportsmen in this state have to do a better job of having a louder voice it's our money behind it so it's our license dollars let's make it count that's on us
2: yeah i agree
1: all right steve i'm going to cut you loose thank you again very much this was great i enjoyed it um welcome to come on the, the show anytime you want all right, college. sounds great. <laughs> All right, thank you. You bet.
0: Bye. Oh, that's awesome. Don't miss Thursdays with Saltwater Experience, brought to you by Golden Boat Lifts, every Thursday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. Four in the